Balls to the Wall, episode number 42. I'm Kenny Matthews and my sidekick, my buddy over there, Billy Martin Jr. How are you doing, buddy? I'm good. I'm glad to be on the Jackie Robinson edition of Balls <laughs> to the Wall. I like that. I like that. And we do appreciate you guys listening to us. Um, if you could subscribe to us on Rumble, YouTube, Spotify, and Anchor, just hit the like button there and then put a comment in there. That would greatly help us. And any suggestions on how to improve this weekly podcast that we bring to you, we would more than welcome that. Billy, I'm, let me tell you something. It's been... We live in the Metroplex, DFW um, area, and guess what? Uh, We had a couple of um, bombs hit here in the Texas Ranger organization. Uh, We'll go with the one that happened on Monday is the Chris Woodward firing after four years. He has a combined record of 212 and 288. Um, Billy, you know, it becomes about a 42% winning percentage. You and I, we kind of talked a little bit off camera a little bit. Was this warranted for Chris Woodward to have his butt kicked out of Arlington this past week? I'm just shocked that anybody expected anything better than this. I mean, you and I certainly didn't. We, 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 were, we were enthusiastic about the big signings, going out and getting one of the best middle infields in all of baseball and, you know, but got to have guys that can pitch and get people out. And so I don't, you know, show me anywhere where they, they were predicted to come anywhere higher than fourth or third in the division. I mean, I nobody think, thought that. I think they were picked third just because Oakland mailed it in before the, you know, the season even started by getting rid of all their, you know, their best players. And they continue to keep doing that. That's another right, story. Yeah, right, <laughs> right before they raised ticket prices. <laughs> but, I mean, Billy, I keep seeing this national pun, pun to keep saying, well, the Rangers were expected to compete for um, playoff spot after that. I don't know why this national media is jumping on that because I think the local media was grounded enough to know this is still not a playoff team. Do we expect them to be better than they were last year? Sure. But they were horrific last year. So, I mean, better is what? Maybe winning 45% of your games, maybe getting to 500. That shows progress. And why do you tear down the team for three years that Chris Woodward was here and then when you make these moves in the offseason, then you get rid of them. I mean, it seemed like if you're going to bring all that money, why don't you just bring in a new manager and a new GM at that time? You know, make it a clean slate. Yeah, I don't get it. Absolutely. Well, and, and look at this. You think anybody could have possibly planned for Martin Perez to go out there and do what he's doing here? So add that to the – same thing and it's like what's the deal you know normally a situation like this they pick the manager as a scapegoat to buy more time for the general manager team president what have you and then to see all of a sudden now john daniels later Makes me really wonder what's going on because I thought that's what it was, Kenny. I really did. I thought, okay, 
they're just trying to buy more time. And I even thought that was kind of early. I'd have waited till next year to do that as we're starting to figure out the young arms. Right. And no, they're, they've got something going on. And, and, and I think you made a great point off camera here before. I mean, the Rangers kind of, it kind of got hurt with COVID with the new stadium opening and all of that coming in time. You couldn't play games, fans being at the game and all that other stuff. We knew this was going to be a multi-year rebuild. I mean, because we had zero in the in the minors to Cersei. And we knew that you couldn't buy. You knew the new ownership couldn't was not going to come in here and just spend, you know, $5 billion to get better. So, when did the patience wane where it broke the camel's back? You know, what was it that happened that made the expectations of steady, steady getting better to expectations of postseason play? I mean, somewhere the dynamic got really twisted in there or accelerated maybe is a better word. Yeah, I mean, you look at their last few drafts, the, the lighter, the rocker, the – the, the young arms they were acquiring. Third base. Like, a, you know, a Glenn Otto starting to turn into a guy that looks like somebody that you want to give the ball to every fifth day. Um, the Morgan Hart. But, yeah, and and so I, I kind of like their plan. I mean, I thought Simeon was a little older maybe than the, the total model, but. I thought he may have gotten an extra year or two that I might not have given on the contract. <laughs> you, know, yeah. I, you know, if it's a five-year deal, I'll feel a lot better than it being a seven-year deal. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, that's splitting hairs a little bit because I know that's the price of business now. You know, I mean, I understand it's longevity too. Um, and I understand. And let me ask you this. This is another thing. If this team was going to be playoff bound, this team desperately needed a power bat in the middle of that in that lineup. I mean, you have Bellinger and Simeon, but that's really – I mean, no offense to Nathaniel Lowe. He's probably – he could probably play on a playoff team batting seventh, eighth, or ninth. He doesn't need to be that high in the lineup with that much responsibility. He's not that kind of player. But I just – you know, you can pitch around Simeon and Bellager a lot, you know, in some cases. So, you know, the guys that you wanted to count on, they're a little less effective because of that. Sure, sure. And, you know, another guy, did did, did they really think Jonah Heim was going to perform the way he's performing now? I mean, maybe that's because Chris Woodward doing such a good job. Maybe, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, we're obviously not in the dugout or clubhouse. But it didn't seem fair to me at all. And, you know, obviously I'm not in the know. I, I, don't, I don't have anybody on that team that I get inside info from. But, yeah, I, I did not think it was fair. No, and I didn't. I mean, if anything, you could have – I mean, i tell you the truth, Billy, all things, all things fair, being fair or not, Monday's press conference should have been John Daniels being put out, not Chris Woodward to me. John Daniels, his body of work the last six, seven years is in. I mean, it's, I mean, look at it. I mean, it, it talks, it talks to you, you know, I mean, the miners were in a mess for a number of years. Then we made some 
ill explicit trades of some minor guys, you know, at times where he went, why, you know, I thought you were building up the farm, you know, now you're going to go get this for this bit player or somebody that's going to make yourself marginally better. I mean, we haven't had a winning season since 2016 here. So I think the Ranger fan had been pretty patient to tell you the truth during this little deal here. I don't think there was a big upheaval around here or people were just really pissed off at the Rangers. I mean, I didn't get that. I didn't either. And I wonder now who was behind the, the Joey Gallo trade. Was that Chris Young? Was that John Daniels? Was that a combination? I mean, obviously, that's that's a great trade. I mean, the, <laughs> the fourth guy in that trade just got moved up to double A. Auburn, he's doing great. You know, I was at the other the other three guys are are starting on a regular basis. Yeah, I mean, and this just happened twelve and a half months ago, Billy. You know, I mean, <laughs> you got instant return on that one so i i mean I, i'm not sure i just you know i just i'm flabbergasted a little bit because i just it caught me it floored me on the woodwork but it really floored me that you do it 48 hours you get rid of the gm too so wonder what's what changed in those 48 hours that you didn't say both were gone you know <laughs> and why are you going to be a national news item twice in 48 hours you know with doing this you know this you generally like to just try to get that bad news out of your mouth get it out 24 hours hope there's a new newspaper to come i think you touched on it before we got on the air when when you said a lot of people have been questioning if you're firing woodward (laughs) how is how is john daniel's job safe and it just I, I like John and, and I think John, I think John had it put together right when he was working with Nolan and crosswords. And he'd really put together a great organization when he had guys like Preller and Thad Levine and this whole group and, and a bunch of old smart sage scouts that they all really work together well and you know and the sad part was there was a guy that broke the whole bond up between Nolan and John Daniels and his name's Tim Papura and he's now the commissioner of the AA Texas League and uh, Tim Papura was probably the worst general manager in baseball history destroyed the Houston Astros. He stabbed Jerry Hunsaker in the back and took over the GM job when the Astros had Biggio, Bagwell, Berkman, and were one of the best franchises in the game. Sure. And he destroyed it. I mean, literally the first trade he made, he traded Ben Zobrist and two pretty good arms to the Rays, where Jerry Hunsaker went, and got back Aubrey Huff for half a season. Yeah, who was terrible. And, you know, he destroyed that franchise. Of course, Hunsaker turned Tampa into what they are now. And now he's with that team called the Dodgers. And they're 
okay. Um, but, but the fun part was, or the ironic part, or the sad part, or however you want to look at it, was when Tim Papura was the Astros' farm director, meaning he was in charge of their minor league operations. He was my favorite. He was the best. I mean, he got back to you the quickest. He was always able to give you a conversation. And, and as an agent, I loved the guy back then. And that's who Nolan Ryan remembered because Nolan owned two of their franchises. Corpus and Round Rock were both Astros, you know, minor league franchises in, and Pearl was in charge of it. So when J.D. and Nolan had their tiff, when J.D. finally got permission to be a big boy GM and not have to go in Nolan's office to get his permission every time he signed somebody, he continued to do it out of respect. He no longer had to listen, right, but he right. did it out of respect. And they were still clicking and working really well. But then Nolan hired Tim Papura. And I think that made JD angry because I'm reading the tea leaves here. I don't know this for sure, but I think it made JD angry because he had just stabbed his former GM in the back. And I think John Daniel, I think that's what caused their fight. I think John Daniel said, Hey man, I've been coming in here to get your feedback on everything when I didn't have to. Sure. Why are you hiring this guy without talking to me about it Makes and sense. I think that's where they blew up and everything the wheels fell off and we lost the great Nolan Ryan and losing that sage baseball voice has cost the Rangers quite a bit haven't been the same since no sir and, it, and it's sad because I could see how it happened like I say I used to love Tim Papura and then he turned into a GM and he was a completely different guy, Kenny. He, he lied to me about something and had a different attitude when I saw him. And all of a sudden, you know, his, his, he, he was cool now. And look out, I'm somebody different. And, you know, uh, that tells you a lot about a person's character when they change significantly like that. Money and ego. Hmm. Won't be the first, won't be the last. <laughs> <laughs> no, it speaking, will not. Speaking of Mr. Preller, huh? He had an eventful last week, didn't he? Out there in San Diego, the GM AJ Preller out there is <laughs> um, face of the franchise of the San Diego Padres, Fernando Tatis Jr. Huh? Came down with an 80 game suspension when an illegal drug was it close to ball? I believe it's what it was called. I believe that's what it was. Yeah, and I haven't done any research on what that drug is, you know. Um, is Apparently, it, it clears ringworm. <laughs> and, and for those of y'all listening, the reason we're laughing about this is because if it really clears ringworm, and it may, but it may do other things too, you're supposed to go to your trainer Everybody in the game knows this. In baseball, you don't take anything unless your trainer looks at the ingredients and says, 
this will be fine or no, don't take this. Um, so I'm guessing Fernando didn't do this. And, no. and even if he did this to heal up quicker, his injury came from something that was a breach of contract. You talked about that. You put a motorcycle in. If you clearly read any of these guys' contracts, they're not allowed to ride motorcycles. They're not allowed to go snow skiing. They're not allowed to go speed lunking, which is cave dwelling. I mean, there are lots of rules on there. And how lucky is Fernando that that the Padres didn't say, you know what, we're gonna we're gonna tear up the four hundred million dollar contract and. Uh, and go a different direction when he did that. But now this, dude. This is what you reward their 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 faith in you. This time last year, signing the big contract, number one, they didn't have to. Had many years they could have, you know, had him well undervalued. Let's just say that, you know, money-wise. Then he claims that he couldn't get in touch with the Padres due to the lockout. Players weren't supposed to get in touch with the organization during that time. So that's why he didn't let them know that he had had this off with, you know, off-roading incident. <clears throat> but according to Dr. Fernando Tati Sr., he took it for ringworm. So <laughs> instead of going to your trainer that you see multiple times a day, you went to somebody else and said, I can take this. I, I, you know what, Billy, I just want one time, just one time, somebody to say, I effed up. I screwed up, knowingly, willingly took this, tried to slide by the system. My bad. Please forgive me. It won't happen again. Coming up with these lame excuses <laughs> or reasons makes it, you're doubling down on the stupid act to me. And I oh, just absolutely. don't know why. I mean, you pay all this money to publicists and all these people to write these things up for you. Don't they run it by the people first before they say that? And why is his dad going on radio telling people this? He doesn't need to, his dad doesn't need, doesn't need to be involved at all on this. This is all on his son to explain what happened. Why are we hearing this cocky man story from him? Don't get it. Uh, I, I, I'm going to guess it was the drug his father did the day he hit two grand slams in the same inning off the same pitcher. <laughs> that record will never be broken. I'm going to go I, on record. <laughs> I'm right there with you. It will never be broken. Never, ever, ever. But I do remember seeing that. <laughs> so great. But now, well, let me ask you this. I'll briefly talk to you this. What do the Padres do to kind of now, you know, this is the first, if, okay, let's say Tatis comes back and he has a great career that maybe he's Hall of Fame worthy in 20, 15 years from now. Will he be the first person to get into the Hall of Fame They failed the drug test like this that went? I mean, you know, Big Poppy, I know that there's some people that said that maybe he didn't fail the test or whatever. We know. Fernando Tatis failed this test. I mean, there's no question about it. There's no open eyes. We know. Would he be the first one to test this? I don't know. No. 
I don't think so. I think we'll see. We'll see more. I mean, Big Poppy did. I mean, look, Fernando Tatis. It's, it's just a question. I, 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 think, I, know, I don't, I don't even think. I mean, I know we I mean, forgive and forget in this society a lot. Um, I know there's younger sports writers are a lot more forgiving on the, you know, enhancing drugs, you know, than the older guys are. I get that part of it too. Um, you know, but if that is the case, if Tatis was to get in, you can make an argument that Bonds can get in, Clemens can get in, and A-Rod can get in too then. Oh, absolutely. In. So that's what I was wondering. Do you open up that Pandora's box, you know, for the, you know, for that to happen? I, I, I don't know. I mean, no, I, I think, I, I think Bonds and Clemens should be in. Yeah. I mean, Romero, I mean, if Big Poppy's in, they should be in. Um, that's just all there is to it. They're, come on, they're two of the top five, maybe, of their position in all of in history. Well, we did our list. Clemens is the top 20 player. I mean, our top 10, and we had him as a top 20 player. They ever suit up. Right. You know? so, I mean, there, there's no, he's not in the hall of, he's not in the hall of fame of good. He's in the hall of fame of great. You know, so I mean, I, I, you know, I just don't know. I, it'll be really interesting. I know it's way down the line, but I was, I was just thinking about that. I go, huh. You know, if this guy is where, he, where we project him to be. Now, I'm going to tell you this, Billy. One thing about Tatis, that guy will miss some games on you in a season. Now, there's three years in a row now that he's missed significant time due to injury and now obviously suspension here. And he's going to miss at least 40 games next year, depending on how far the Padres go in the playoffs. So, I mean, you're talking about another, what, a, a quarter of, this, uh, of the season next year that he can't play for the Padres. So, I mean, yeah, it's time to mature. It's time for him to, you know, make some right decisions in life. And I guess when you give somebody $400 million at age 22, you're going to get a little, in, you know, maybe some in- immature decisions made. Sure. I get that. Yeah. I, but a kid that grew up the son of, that grew up in the game, for me – that's the kid who should know better. Absolutely. And that's where it makes me scratch my head a little bit. And so you're saying that, um, so Aaron Boone took that approach, but Brett Boone didn't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know just a few people got that joke, but. <laughs> <laughs> But, yeah, I just it, – it'll be interesting. I mean, look, you know, you hate to lose a player like that. I know the Padres had a lot of steam this time last week with Soto. He was on rehab, was about to come back. He was going to be, you know, probably in Washington, D.C. last weekend. And all they're doing is fielding questions about this suspension. And then you go on a losing streak afterwards. You know, it's, it doesn't – you think that's a little distraction? Just a little bit? <laughs> Unreal. Um the other news that came out of the AL West, I mean, NL West, was Walker Bueller going down with Tommy John surgery. Um, I remember you and I, we talked at the beginning of the season about Urias, you know, his, his, his um, mile per hour was down a little bit. 
We had question marks about Clayton Kershaw, if he was going to make it through the year or not. And, and Walker, we have to remember, he was kind of bubbling back from an injury, too, at the end of last year, too, coming down in here. So, you know, this vaunted Dodger rotation, just this time last year to what it is now, is, is merely a shell of what it was, you know, what, what they got on there. And that makes – the reason I'm bringing that up a little bit is it, it makes it strange to me that they did not try to go after a pitcher – after trading deadline this year. I really thought that the, if there's any organization that could get rid of minor league players and it wouldn't kill your depth in your organization is the Dodgers. And I just didn't, that was a head scratcher to me. I, well, okay. And you don't even have to just go into your minor leagues. You have great position players that are literally only in four games a week. And guys like Lux and, and, and Bellinger and Taylors, I mean, they've got some great players that aren't even playing. Well, that would be an absolute everyday player anywhere else. I mean, they're taking a page out of your dad's manager, Casey Stingle. They're platooning, basically. You know, righty lefties with very good, you know, now, now we'll get a little bit about Mr. Bellinger, but I mean, you know, but still it's just it. I was just stunned that they didn't do it then because we knew that Bueller was still hurt at that time, so you couldn't count on him. Clayton was already out of your rotation. Now, I know they're thinking about Dustin May, and believe me, Dustin May's got a great arm. He hadn't pitched in over a year in the, on the big league level yet, so you can't – I did see Dave Roberts kind of temper that enthusiasm saying Dustin May is not replacing Walker Bueller because there's only about four or five pitchers that can replace Walker Bueller, <laughs> you know, so it's not, you know, that we got to, you know, temper it down a little bit, but I just, I just thought they whiffed big time at the trading deadline because it was a need if Walker Bueller even came back anyway to get another starting pitcher. Funny part is though, you never know what the other side of that is. I mean, sure. uh, watching a game, I, I was at a Ranger game Monday night, the Ranger A's game and, and I'm watching Oakland's catcher, Sean Murphy. He's take a beating back there, right? And 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 this is a great player. He's an all-star caliber catcher. And here they make the Olsen trade and get back Shea Langoliers. Yes. <laughs> former Baylor Bear. Keller Indian in our backyard. Stud. In our backyard. <laughs> right. And just an absolute stud. And then they do that trade. So I remember thinking, oh, well, they're, they're obviously dealing their Murphy. And no, he's still there. But we don't know what lousy offers they got. You know, what was really going on. Just, just like the Dodgers, they may have tried to pull the trigger on 25 different trades that they just – fell short on and and maybe people knowing that the Dodgers are so rich in their farm system maybe they held them out for a ransom notice basically you know said hey you know it's you know that might have been the reason why I, I just generally know that it seems like nine out of ten times Dodgers want something they get something you know it's not very rare that they don't and you know I just I mean, maybe it puts more credence into this, Billy, is that I remember back in early June when people said, why aren't we making trades now for players so you can have them for half the season or whatever it is 
maybe that puts credence and more pressure now for GMs to say, man, I can't get wait to the end and get left at the altar, you know, with nothing. You know, I mean, it's, and maybe that puts a little bit, maybe June 1st is a little quick to do that because, and then, you know, it's just a third of the season been gone, but you, you know what I mean? Maybe it's July 1st you do it, you know, and something of that nature. Because I think Frankie Montas was available in June. He sure as heck was available in July. And we know he was available up until trade deadline, you know, because still we knew the Reds were not going to sign him. They were going to trade him. So, you know, when you let others' bids get in there, maybe that accelerates the process. I, you know, I'm not sure. But, I mean, I know one thing. I'm, I'm sure the Dodgers have got to be really killing themselves now thinking, dang it, you know, we didn't do this. You know, we had another pitcher and May coming in. We could have maybe offset this a little bit. Now, that lineup is a Hall of Fame lineup, so they may be able to hit enough to get to the World Series. Uh, I think if they play the Astros this time around, the Astros starting pitching, though, they wouldn't beat them. Uh, I think the Astros from one to six now in their starting lineup, in their starting pitchers, is damn good. Now that McQuellers is back, uh, I just don't see that. But that's another story for another day. But I know that they got to be killing themselves a little bit. Yeah, well, I, I'm sure they are. But I'll tell you, I was talking about earlier, Jerry Hunter, I believe in that guy. I've just – I've watched him take three organizations – to the top and you know all all with very different styles you know that the astros were kind of a middle grade team right they're not the the giant market big money spenders right but they but they definitely weren't low end right the dodgers the yankees but yeah. But and they and they got wow, the bump when they there. And they got the bump with the new stadium and Minute Maid at the time. You know, they that bumped them up, you know, probably to around 10 or 9 or 11, somewhere in that range, I would think. You know, easy. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And then so he goes from the mid-range team to the bottom range with Tampa, right? Yeah. Finds a way to win budget style. And then and then goes to the Dodgers. And what he's done there's been phenomenal. It, it it always makes me scratch my head and wonder what would have happened had Billy Bean took the job in Boston. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think he likes being on the shoestring budget. I think there's a part of him that sees that as more challenging and more fun for him. But, you know, Beantown would have been spelled differently had he gone to Boston and won that World Series. And but I, I could see why you wouldn't want that also. So it's just, it's neat. And that's my props to Jerry Hunsaker because, uh, wow, Dodgers, like you said, that's a Hall of Fame lineup. Yep. Um, well, I would say it's definitely a Hall of Fame lineup with no holes, but that does bring me to the benching of Cody Bellinger. Um, here is the 2017 Rookie of the Year, won the MVP two years later. Looked like he was going to be the face of the Dodgers going forward at that time. Since then, man, he he can't hit himself out of a paper sack, it seems like, with the contact issues there. To me, it looks like he may need a change of scenery to me because it's now been a prolonged slump, you know, there in La La Land. 
And the one thing that you do know in the flash and dash of playing in Dodger Stadium, you know, you don't hit, you're generally you, not on the team much longer, you know. And I, I don't know. I think, Billy, you always say this. It's definitely here. That guy oh, is 27 years old or whatever may be the case. He didn't lose it physically. You know, it's squarely between his ears. And I think he needs – he just needs new surroundings because I think the Bellinger experiment now is over in L.A. Absolutely. That would have been kind of funny when, when the Yankees – when I heard the Yankees traded Joey Gallo, that was the first thing I thought. Gallo for Bellinger. Makes sense. <laughs> Most of these guys are underproducing what they should be. They're, they're, they're both pretty good defenders. Mm-hmm. Bellinger's a little faster. Gallo's got a little better arm. Um, both I got mean, a little swing and miss. <laughs> right. I mean, both left-handed. <laughs> Right. Both have been superstar status and 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 dog crap status. So yeah. and, um, and Bellinger and Yankee Stadium with that short right field porch. And yeah. now that now that it seems that the Aaron Hicks experiment in New York is over, you know, you could have maybe slid him in there. <laughs> you know, you could have maybe. That's not far-fetched at all. No, well, the Yankees did just call up a kid. Yes. Well, I think he's pretty good in Esteban Florial. Yeah. yeah. They kind of rushed him up the first time, and it'll be interesting to see how he does if he gets any kind of significant opportunity, but uh, I like batted, him. Yeah, batted about 284, about 20 bombs, 32 stolen bases, plus outfielder in the, you know, in the field. Yeah. And the Yankees obviously need as what um, – Garrett Cole said last night, we need a jolt. <laughs> you know, they've been in a funk now ever since the All-Star break. Uh, the bullpens and rambles, the lineup, again, is swinging and miss. If they're not, I mean, let's not just blame Joey Gallo for that lineup. Donaldson's swinging and missing. Aaron Hicks is swinging and missing. They're not hitting with, you know, run. Glaber Torres, he can't hit right-handers at all. I mean, he's almost to the point where you, you almost have to sit him against righties now. He's not hitting them at all. Um, I think kind of Falefa gets a bad – he gets a bad rap to me in a little bit. You know, he's batting 270. I know he only has one home run, but he doesn't strike out. And give me a give me a plus fielder at shortstop that's batting 270 and then doesn't clog up the base paths any day of the week. I don't have a problem with that because they have oh, enough swing in this guy. You know, they have not here. Right. You know, DJ LeMayu was hurt. I, that's that's a team that's reeling right now. And, and I don't know how they're going to get that much better going fo- down the stretch. I mean, I know they'll get Stanton back. Again, that's a hot and cold bat in your lineup. Judge is in a funk right now. You know, Frankie Montaz has not looked good so far. <laughs> you know, it, it's just they're a mess. They're a mess, and they're getting my dandruff up. Yes, I have a little dandruff up here. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? I also think it's easy for a team when you've got that big of a lead in your division. Sure. Uh, for the wheels to fall off to some degree, like it has, and all of a sudden, 
as they get down the stretch, they get in the postseason, all of a sudden things will start to click again. Um, Yankees fans are obviously notorious for freaking out about things like that. I mean, but I will say this though. If this Yankee team, can this Yankee team win a game seven at Minute Maid Park? To me, no. I think Verlander shuts them out, goes eight innings, one run, and 14 Ks. And and Garrett Cole gives up three and a half runs and six. You know, it's just, I don't think that they're equipped to beat the Astros. And to me, that should be their measuring stick for the Yankees because making the playoffs, that, that should be a birthright for them. Winning the first round of the playoffs should be a birthright to them with their way their payroll is. It's getting to the World Series. It's winning the World Series. And to me, they're definitely, if you line up the Strohs and the Yankees against each other, man, I'm betting the house on the Strohs. You know, there's no question against the Yankees. I just, I don't think they're even, I don't even think they're close, to tell you the truth. I, I, I agree on one hand, but because of, what we're calling the Joey Gallo factor with the Yankees, because that is that feast or famine lineup that it could all just blow up for them in the postseason. And look at Stanton last year. What do you get five home runs against? And, you know, in the, in the Cleveland series last year, he basically carried them. You know, I mean, it happens. I, I just, I know what, my old mind tells me starting pitching always locks down the hitting. But you need, now when we go to postseason, Billy, we've minimized starting pitching. So maybe I am overreacting. He'll be in the bullpen in the fifth inning regardless if he's got a perfect game or not, you know, at that point in time. <laughs> so, I mean, heaven forbid we go through that lineup a third time. No, not with a starting pitcher. No. So I, I, I take everything back. We're good. Because <laughs> I don't like the Astros' bullpen. Now, they did get some hope. They, they got a little help at the trading deadline. But I'm not as sold on the Astros' bullpen. So, if they're going to – Dusty Baker's going to play, you know, four innings starters. You know, starters only going four innings or four and two-thirds. Yankees got a shot. They could run into a few balls. No question. This could be Dusty's year. Yeah. Get that that ever elusive World Series championship. Boy, to my demise to see the Strohs hoist that trophy again. But man, somewhere in my heart, I will be crying on the inside for Dusty, because that's a good dude to me. Yeah, that's a good dude. He'll be like what Ron Washington was last year for the Braves. To me, a lifelong guy that's never won at all and hip, cool. I mean, these, these guys gone through five generations of baseball, you know, six generations, and they're still got it. Swag. You know, it's just, <laughs> I love that. Dustin's taken five teams to the postseason. You know, only my father and Tony LaRussa have taken four teams to the postseason, right? Yep. So, Over I mean, wins. that in itself – for me, puts Dusty in the Hall of Fame, and uh, whether he wins one or not, and if he does, 
it's it's a lock. Billy, that's a great question because how many how many skippers are in the Hall of Fame that have not won it? Won it? I don't yeah. think any. That's what I was thinking. I don't think there's any skippers in the hall because there's not that many in the first place. No, you know, right. you know, there's not that many, but I don't think anybody that's in the Hall of Fame right now has not won it. Nope. Nope. And I think Dusty will probably get that nod. I mean, you got to look at other things. I mean, not only was he a great player, but he invented the high five. <laughs> So, sure did. <laughs> hey, he was on deck for Hank Aaron's historic home run. I mean, yes, you know, this was. guy's lived a great charmed life. Then he's lived in Atlanta. He's lived in, you know, San Francisco. He's lived in L.A. I mean, he, <laughs> now he's had he's lived in Houston the last few years. So I, I won't hold that against him. But <laughs> hey, dude, we do appreciate you guys listening to us on Balls of the Wall here. If you could subscribe to us on Rumble, YouTube, Spotify, Anchor. Just hit the like button down there and put a comment down there. We would greatly appreciate it. That would help us out deeply. There was a couple, two little side notes about baseball that I wanted to say. I, I hope everybody's seen the captain um, on ESPN+. Plus. That was excellent, done by um, Derek Jeter. Um, I know you and I also talked about facing Nolan. That's on net. You, you can see that on Netflix now. That also was excellent, 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 excellent. And then I want to know, for anybody you guys listen to podcasts, please go listen to the Lyman Bostock podcast that Tom Rinaldi did. It's eight, it's eight, it's eight of them, and they're about 26 minutes apiece. It is wonderful. If people have never heard about the Lyman Bostock story, he's the only player to be ever killed during the season um, in 1977. Um, he was back at home in his Gary, Indiana, was shot with a shotgun and he was not the target. The ex-wife was the target at the time. Now, the assailant, Leonard Harris, who did kill him, he served just a little over a year in a mental hospital where he was let out for good. He was out for 30 years before he passed. So a lot of people say he got away with murder. He got away with murder because even the mental institution said he never was mentally insane. So it's really, really good. And I know Tom Rinaldi does these things extremely well anyway. I mean, it's 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 done well. So if you get a chance, you can listen to him. It's on all the fronts, Spotify, all that. It's over. They just put in Lyman Bostock, who was going to be a very, very good player in his right mind. Bob Carew had kind of taken him under his wing, and he's also in that um, in that series. So it's it's really, really, really good. Um, I did I did want to say this is that we had the AP college football rankings that came out. This past week, and oh, what a surprise! Alabama's number one with fifty-four votes. No way! <laughs> wow! <laughs> Boy, see if you heard these teams before in the top five: Ohio State, number two; Georgia, number three; Clemson, number four; Notre Dame, number five. Man, what a shocker! So, yeah. this time next year, can I just break this out and they'll be the same order? <laughs> <laughs> um, we talk about parody that's always a word that they use in college football these days I think there is a form of parody maybe in the middle ranks absolutely um, but obviously it seems like the heavyweights still year after year after year the, or the you know the touted ones to get there um, you don't have those situations where um, 
you know, USC is down for eight, nine years. You know, I remember Bama was down for a few years and everybody kind of, you know, Notre Dame went through their little stretch. But since this BCS has come out, it seems like those guys have been pretty much at the top every year. Shocking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why, uh, why those guys are the best i mean that's why they get the most money and but yeah you were you're right though you could pretty much just etch it in stone for who's going to be the guys next year i mean right you can almost guarantee three of those five teams i'll guarantee three of them will be in the in the top 10 for sure yeah and, and I, you know i think we said a little off camera Kudos to Nick Saban being able to do that at this level with, you know, now with having the turnover the way you can, the way he loses NFL talent every year to the draft, either seniors or juniors. And the guy just keeps replenishing his, his cub of bear over there with another five-star, another four-star players. And not only is he winning national championships, he's doing it in the vaulted SEC where he's only losing maybe one game a year at that against what we all know is a dog fight every time you play an SEC team, you know, at home or on the road. It's just, again, if he's not the GOAT, then I haven't seen the GOAT yet, <laughs> you know, because, you know, it's, it's hard for me to think that there's been a better coach, especially in this day and age and environment where there's so many distractions to keep those guys every year in the hunt. Ever. I mean, I mean, cause who are you going to, who are you going to say, if, if you say ever, you're going to throw the bear at him? I mean. Yeah. yeah. You, you can, you can arguably say that Alabama's had the best two coaches that ever laced been on the sidelines in college football. Easily. Yeah. I agree with that because the bear Bryant was, he was the goat. Yeah. There's no question. I, but I do think Saban has surpassed that now. Um, the ability to win one at LSU and then to win all these that he has at Alabama, I think, puts him ahead um, doing it at a couple different places. But, I mean, gosh, Bear, what was he coached there at Ballard for 35 years or whatever it might have been the case? I mean, it's a long well, time. And remember, people don't remember about the Bear. You know, he was at the University of Kentucky. Kentucky. Mm -hmm. and, and they had a basketball coach by the name of Adolph Rupp. Yes, he did. And they told the bear that if you can get the football program on a par with Coach Rupp's basketball program, we'll pay you like we do him. So he goes out and promptly wins a bowl game and says, all right, pay me. And they tell him, well, they want to wait and see a, a little bit more of it. And he gives them this and, and walks away. At probably the most inopportune moment a coach could walk away from the team that needs a job, right? Yeah. So he takes a job at lowly all boys academy, Texas AM. And if anybody's not seen the Junction Boys, uh, good. First of all, I suggest reading the book as yes. Jim Dan. Our buddy version of the Junction Boys is is absolutely the best. I did talk to him right before we did our show, by the way, and he Good. said to say hello. Good. But um, Good guy. 
what a great story of a guy that took a team of misfits and made them great. And with what he did there, landed the landed the Bama job and turned into the GOAT. Yep. You know, he coached um, he coached one famous coach out there at the University of Kentucky and he was at the University of Kentucky. Howard Schnellenberg. Well, he coached a couple of coaches at Texas A and M. Jack Party and Gene Stalin. Those guys yep. are pretty good too. I mean, <laughs> kind of kind of interesting in that Junction Boys book. I mean, what happens is for those of y'all who haven't seen it, he gets there and all the Aggie fans are at every practice trying to tell him how to do his job. Mm-hmm. Standing on the sidelines, and he just finally said, I gotta get these guys away. And they literally take off and go to a ranch where they got to take cactus off a field to get them to practice. <laughs> and, and they did lose a guy to heat stroke uh, that was never the same. But the rest of the guys that survived that camp, everybody was a successful person in life. I'm David Crow. Uh, yeah. And, and that guy went on to the NFL, right? But not many of them did as players. If I remember correct, isn't John David Crow a Heisman Trophy winner? Absolutely. Yeah. And but they everybody was successful. Everybody that made it through that camp and that season went on and had successful lives, became successful bankers or insurance salesmen or whatever they did. They all did really well. And it was uh it was inspiring. It showed you why the bear was the goat because which is a misnomer because a bear can't really be a goat. But anyways, <laughs> he he knew how to turn people into winners. Yes, he did. And if they couldn't win on the football field, they found other ways to win. Yeah. That probably makes it even that much tougher. On the onset, who's going to be the next Alabama coach to have to come back and follow oh, up the bear and yeah, follow right. up safety? No. <laughs> I'm sure the bank account is going to smile every two weeks when that automatic deposit goes in, but I have a feeling you're going to have a few sleepless nights during that process because that is, wow. I mean, that's huge shoes, buddy. (laughs) Some huge, huge shoes. Uh, Well, I do want to kind of give you a thumbs up and a thumbs down, and I've got a couple thumbs down this week, and First one is about the Calgary Flames star, the Jonathan Herberto. He's going to donate his brain to um, CTE. He came down with, man, the Lou Gehrig's disease at age 29. Um, You know, that's, I just feel horrible about that. I mean, it's a horrible disease, but to have that when you're at the height of your career, you know, and at age 29, Billy, I mean, wow, that that, that really rocked me a little bit because it made me think, man, you know, here I am, 55 years old. I'm thinking this guy's, he's not long for being on this earth now, you know, with that disease, you know, and it, just, it really is a tragic story. Oh, I, what do you, what do you even say to something like that? And, Sad. You know, it's, at least with Lou, it, it seemed like he got to at least have his career and, and. Right. With Lou, I think was you really didn't know what the disease really was, you know. I mean, you know, so uh, yeah, 
I mean, we all know how bad it is now, you know, for him, he's just like, what the heck? I can't get out of bed. I can't swing the stick. You know, what, what the heck is going on? I, I just, yeah, it's just horrible. It's a, I hope we do get, a, I hope we get a cure for that disease one day. That's just something that, you know, gosh, you know, had some people that, you know, known some people have passed away from it. And I heard it is, it is absolutely brutal. So prayers to him. Um, also, I know it's been all over the news this week, and it's a little personal to me as um, the Yoka um, Talib um, shot and killed the youth coach, Kevin, um, Mr. Hickman, this week. Uh, it's you know, Mike Hickman at a youth football game. I, I know both people personally. Um, Yonkip Talib, I probably have had 25, 30 conversations with him over the years. He's a younger brother of Akib Talib, the defensive back in the NFL for a number of years. They have a place that's called um, A plus D1 um, training facility. They train for youths. I mean, from age three all the way up to high school. Um, it's right down the street from my house. Again, it's, it's another act of violence. But Billy, I'm going to go with this even on this word. It's another act of violence with black on black at a freaking youth football game and to shoot anybody is wrong, but to do that in front of eight and nine-year-old kids, I can't understand how upset you can be at a referee at a youth game that will make you put six bullets into somebody. I need an explanation. I don't I don't get it. I mean I, if you're that angry and come on, we, we we've all had moments at youth sports. Sure. I've coached youth and and football, basketball, baseball, soccer, absolutely, you name it. Uh, and you get so angry at officials. I've also officiated sports, uh, but I've wanted to shove them before. Yeah, I've wanted to punch one. Yeah, I've wanted to punch one. That smart aleck me, right? Where where I wanted to knock him out. But even there, how could I do that in front of those kids? What kind of, you know, is it, trust me, it's crossed my mind once. I, I'm not going to say what the guy said, but, but who's carrying a gun out there in the first place? That's what I want to know. What are you carrying a gun from in round eight and nine-year-old kids? Well, you know what? Okay. I could say, he could say on that front, hey, he's there to protect those kids. If if some wacko shooter in the stands pulls out a gun, he's going to return fire. You make, you make an excellent point there, Billy, because guess what? He wasn't the only one carrying that day on that field. I guarantee you that. He was not the only one that had a gun in his I pocket. You're, right. you're absolutely right. And that's the travesty of it. There shouldn't have been one on that damn field, but there were multiple ones on that field that day. But I, I mean, how can you care about those kids? What What are you doing out there if if you're shooting an official? It's just how do you even wrap your head around that? But I mean, how do you wrap your head around the guy in Buffalo walking in the grocery store shooting little old ladies? You know, while he's got his suit on. I mean, Evaldi. 
our, our world is full of crazy people. It is. And, you know. I, the problem is, is we shouldn't be shocked anymore. I mean, we're not. We're almost immune to it. You know, it's, you know, you hear it now and the shock factor is already on. You know, you, you almost come to expect it. You know, if you go a few months without something like this, you almost expect another shooting, you know, or a group, you know, group shooting of some type. My other question, and, and, and I want to just say this about the victim, Mike Hickman, one of the best guys ever. He volunteered so much of his time for those little kids, to coach those little kids, to treat them right, to show them how to do the right thing. I mean, he went beyond regular volunteering status on that he wasn't getting paid for any of that so he's put he's actually spending his own time and money for those kids and for those kids to see him get murdered in front of them man that those that's gonna last with those kids forever you'll never get rid of that image you're gonna be 65 and 70 years old still thinking about what you saw on a youth football field it's just tragic it's just tragic and for his older brother Akeem he's the one that started the brawl here's the professional athlete played in the NFL for 11 years starts a brawl at a youth football game on a Saturday night that's mind-boggling to me mind -boggling. and now he's already yeah, he's, he's already on multiple charges. He's got parole charges that have been ran. He's going to go away for a long time. There's no question. You know, I mean, I guess that's part justice. I mean, it doesn't bring back Mr. Hickman. It doesn't change that image in front of all those kids. But I, I hope that the fear that we had showing all this violence and showing the tapes and all that stuff, when he gets sentenced, that there's people in the media that are there to show that same fear saying, this was the price because I think that we need to have that. Here's the consequence after you do something publicly like this. This is what's going to happen to you later. And that same TMZ needs to be there with that in the courtroom showing that. Maybe that makes a difference. I hope so. I hope so. And my thumbs up for the day. If I mention the word name Derman, Derwin James Jr. Do you know who he is, Billy? Well, he is the highest paid NFL safety for the San Diego Chargers. And get this, he signed a contract today that's going to average $19.13 million a year. Yes. <laughs> yes. Now, I, I know him a little bit because he was on Hard Knocks a couple years ago. And he got hurt during Hard Knocks, the show, and spring tra and, and training camp, and he was out for the year. But this is a guy that's missed a complete season. The following year, he only played five. And they're giving a safety $82.5 million to play na National Football League. Billy, these professional leagues, they're not professional leagues anymore. They're the entertainment business now. That's what we're paying these guys to do it. It doesn't have anything to do about a professional. This is, it's you and I are watching whatever vehicle it is because they're printing money off of who? Us. Absolutely. <laughs> I looked at that today and said, I bet you three out of 10 people don't even know who Derwin James Jr. is. And he's the highest paid safety in 
the most vocal visual sport that we have in America, besides soccer. I know that's global. <laughs> it's just crazy. How many, how many years was his deal? And how long do you think they really keep him there before they it would it, I haven't seen what this I have not seen what the um the guaranteed money part of it is. To me, that's the crucial thing that's on that. I know it's a sizable signing bonus, and I know it's maybe average. I say you get three years out of the four, probably. You know, you know, maybe it's um, out of the five, excuse me. You know, maybe it's something of that nature. But, you know, he's probably had a signing bonus of $30 million, you know, or something of that nature. So you can't cut him really after year one. It kills your cap. You know, I mean, even if he didn't produce, you know, it's, it's just – I just look at this and I go, somewhere this time next year, we're going to be talking about Lamar Jackson getting an outrageous contract, Craig Herbert, an outrageous contract by this, and that guy up in Buffalo, he's going to get an outrageous contract in NFL. When does the money stop? Recession? Maybe the Democrats are right. We don't have a recession. Well, and maybe maybe the money stops when uh, you stop watching. I mean, it's, it's, and you know what? Who's going to do that in October in America? Not me. Not going to happen. It's not going to happen. So for all you people out there that you know think that um, you know that this money is going to slow down. To me, with all the streaming services with the NFL that are going to add this year, it's just going to put more money into the pockets of the whole sport, which means they have to share a percentage of that with the players, which means much higher salaries. Higher salary cap means more money. The Derwin James of the world gets $76.4 million. <laughs> I just wonder what the odds are that he'll really see the end of that contract. Because obviously it's not guaranteed money, you know. Just a side bonus. Yeah. Is somewhere Charlie Waters sitting around going, God, I wish I was born 35 years later. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean. A perennial pro bowler for the Cowboys, Hall of Famer, one of the best safeties of the decade. What He's probably thinking, just give me one year at 19.3 million. <laughs> <I'm fine. laughs> oh, man. Well, hey, Billy, I appreciate you talk, taking the time to do this again this week, man. It's my favorite hour of the week. We do appreciate our audience. We do love to come here weekly with you guys. We love your, we love your suggestions and your tips. And if you can, just subscribe to us on YouTube, Spotify, Anchor, or Rumble. Billy, until next week, I appreciate you, buddy. Let's have a good one.